0: Thank you, Holly. So moving, true, real. And I'm so thankful already for this morning to, uh, to Jane uh, and to Jamie coming in to uh, to visit our church family and to use your gifts. We're so grateful. If you'd like to move from New York and New Jersey to be here, we will we'll be very excited. And to uh, all of you who have provided the time of worship and the music today, I'm just so grateful. And I think on behalf of all of us been such a wonderful morning as we are here for this Christmas Sunday morning. Now we want to take time to hear the word of God. And it's a passage that I'm guessing most of you have heard quite often. John chapter three. John chapter three. Jesus there has a nighttime encounter with a leading man named Nicodemus. Let us stand because we are going to be hearing the word of the maker of Of heaven and earth and the lover of our souls, our heavenly father. John chapter three. Hear now the word of God. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he be born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered I tell you the truth no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again for flesh gives birth to flesh but the spirit gives birth to spirit you should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again down in verse 16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him and this is the word of God thanks be to God. This is Christmas Sunday and I've written about this on the worship folder to do today, but now I'll tell you about it. Ever since I began being a pastor so many years ago, it uh, became my prayer that on Christmas Sunday morning, the, the Sunday morning before we have the Christmas celebrations like we'll have on Christmas Eve, I wanted to make sure that I could do as simple and clear a message about the meaning of Christmas And how God would have us to respond to the child of Christmas as I possibly can, given my limitations, I feel like that is just simply one thing that I've always wanted to do. Uh, So this Sunday morning, as we gathered, I pulled back, as I've done so often, and I've asked, now, what one verse might crystallize this for us? What one verse might be the verse that we would choose if someone were to ask us, now, what is this Christmas season all about? Or perhaps if we were to say this, how are we to respond to this child of Christmas so that we might know God? What one verse might you pick out? And I've come again to the same verse again this year. It's perhaps the best known verse in the Bible. Uh, maybe if you ever watch the Super Bowl, even if you never go to church, you'll see somebody standing there in the end zone. You know, with the placard having this verse. Yes, some of you are nodding. You, you've seen that. I've been told it's the most memorized verse in the Bible, though I doubt it. I think probably Jesus wept. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you think that probably really is? And yet, really, it is a verse that all of us who have gone to church often know very well. It is John 316. And here it is in the version that you have in front of you, the New International Version. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, I've been told that even though this is perhaps the best known verse in the Bible, it's also in the United States, one of the least preached on verses. I'm not sure if that's true. I do know this, that any time I say something like this, I'm going to preach about John 3.16, I almost get this feeling of, well, I've heard that so often. I certainly hope you as a pastor will have some new, fresh thought about this verse for us. Well, if that's what you're hoping, I think you're going to be disappointed. What I want is an old, enduring thought about this verse. I think on Christmas Sunday morning, I long to have happened what happened to Holly 17 years ago, that you come in and perhaps have heard something about christ and about the christmas message again and again and again and today i can make it just so clear and simple that you will be able to know for sure whether you are or are not a follower of this jesus for those of us who are quite sure because we have a relationship with god that's so real and genuine that it came through jesus christ for for you i pray that this morning that might again be re-anchored in your heart and soul And perhaps even you'll think about ways that you can communicate this to your family and friends and business colleagues. But for so many others who go to church or have heard this message many, many times and come in and and, and still are unsure about where you stand with regard to this Christmas message. One of the things I am praying for as your pastor is that at least you'll go out of here knowing where you stand in your relationship with God. I don't want to manipulate you. It's it's God's work to draw you into into himself and to let you know that he is real and that he loves you. But I want you as much as I can to be clear about what the message is and about what God would have you to do in response to it. And so John 316 is a good place to turn to. And as I've looked at that text, I've nailed down three, three truths that it seems to me all followers of Jesus believe and I've always believed. And at the end of each one of these, I'm going to stop and ask you where you stand with them. Truth number one. A Christian, a follower of this Jesus, whose birth we celebrate, is one, according to John 6, 3.16, who knows that a decision about this Jesus must be made. And this takes us to, to this thought of shall not perish, but have eternal life. You see, a Christian is a person who has discovered this amazing message that God loves the world so that whoever, whoever can live. And and then we begin to realize, hey, I'm a part of that whoever. I'm a person, so there must be hope for me. So we read a text like this and we find out again that the opportunity to have this gift, because God gave his son, this gift, Of eternal life is available to all people, but is not received by all. It's a gift that comes to all who will, but it can be rejected and it can be ignored as well. So essentially what we believe as Christians is what Christians have always believed, that there is a faith decision about this Jesus that is to be made in this world. That changes our eternal destinies. Now, that's also been one of the things most criticized about Christians all over the world. Did you know that? Some people think that that's not very sophisticated. To think that there is a person who says you must make a decision. And that decision really affects the direction that you go in your life. And others haven't liked it because they feel like, oh. That inclines a Christian toward proselytizing and telling people you have to believe what I believe. But, but we have to come back and just see essentially at the heart of the Christian message is that people are in trouble. But God loves us anyway. And that God has done something that must be received by faith. Jesus always called people to decision. And so it is the nature of the Christian faith that we call people to decision, and so much of it is wrapped up in that word in John 3:16 that's translated "perishing." Perishing. You see, what, what Jesus is saying is that in the natural course of our lives, uh, even though we may work hard, and that's what I love Holly's testimony because it clarifies this: we work hard and try to please people and try to be self-directed, try to be successful. That, in spite of all that, we're still perishing people. Now I know. Okay. I know that Christmas Sunday is supposed to be the ultimate feel-good sermon uh, that a pastor ever preaches. And I'm going to get to some good feel-good parts eventually, but this perishing thing doesn't seem all that feel-good, does it? I mean, how many times, uh, if you're ever on Facebook and you describe yourself, uh, you put, well, I'm a perishing person. How many times, if you're going to have a big Christmas party... Uh, you sit down and say, can we talk about the fact that we're all perishing for for just a while? Now, we know it's true. And the older we get to be, we, we realize the implications of it. We know that from the moment we're born, we have this limited amount of time in this realm. You know that that's true. It's one of the greatest certainties in this world that physical life does not last forever. And the older we get, we begin to see its effects, don't we? Uh, my mom, waybrights always have a lot of wrinkles. She always would joke about trying to put putty in there and make it so no matter how much putty you have, it doesn't fight it off forever. And here in Southern California, with all the cosmetic surgery that we try to do to, 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 to fight off this perishing reality, it's not very effective. And what I find is, especially in a, an American society where we always like to be successful and upwardly mobile, we don't even want to talk about this fact uh, that we are perishing people. Now there are things that are happening in our day. Uh, books like Tuesdays with Maury by Mitch Albion and others that at least have put the topic in, into the arena. That we can talk about it. That, that we should prepare for, for death because it comes to, to everyone. But still, you know, it's a topic that we don't talk about very much. And as I talk with morticians, uh, many attorneys... Who deal with people they, sometimes they're very surprised when people's end actually comes, how, how poorly prepared they were. No will, uh, no preparations. And for me as a pastor, when I've gone to visit people who are terminally ill uh, or in hospice, uh, so many times it's, it's said differently, but it's often something like this. Pastor Greg, I suppose I should have known that the end is, is coming But I hadn't really thought about it so much. I didn't want to think about it with regard to me. And I surely didn't know it would happen this quickly. Isn't that true? I surely didn't know it would happen this quickly. It really is a silly thing for any of us to ignore this perishing nature in this way. Because an ending to life is one of the greatest certainties in this arena. And I'll tell you, it's a wise person. It is a wise person who faces up to that reality and prepares for it. And, and this great text, if you look at it again, it tells us that a Christian is precisely just that sort of a person. Now, I'm not saying simply that, that a Christian is that realist who makes a will or takes out an insurance policy. I think those are good ideas. I'm talking about something much bigger and more, and more profound than that. Look at the phrase again, shall not perish, said Jesus. That's much more profound than, than shall not die. Um, because Jesus is not saying that Christians, if you become a Christian, you won't have to face that physical death because Christians do. Right. And Jesus did. He's saying something much bigger. He's saying that physical death does not have to be the end of things for, for people made in the image of God. That, that God created people to live eternally. Uh, something about us that has the very nature of God. And there's so many aspects of that. But one of the parts of that is that we have not been made to be perishing people and that God loves the world. And though the natural nature of people, beginning with Genesis chapter three, thir- chapter three, is that people turned away from God and lived self-directed, self-generated lives. The kind of life that Holly was saying that she was seeking to live, often even trying to live well. But we're living for ourselves and walking away from God. So that essentially what what, what Jesus is pointing out to Nicodemus is there are two paths, two directions, two trajectories of our lives. One is perishing away from God. We don't have the life that we know we should be living. And we keep walking farther away from God no matter how hard we work at it. We become tired at it. But there is a decision to be made in this world that will transform that and change the direction of our lives to become living people, to become living people. And a Christian is one who has made that decision and has made all the difference for us with regard to our eternal destiny. It's made us ready to meet God. See, for us as Christians, we should be the most humble people. Sometimes we are criticized for not being that. May God forgive us. (laughs) Because we have acknowledged that we've fallen short of what God would have us to be. We know that in and of ourselves we wouldn't have hope. We were perishing people. We have come to God and found out that he loves us and that we can be forgiven. uh, Rescued from that destiny where we weren't ready to meet him. Because God is perfect and we know we are not. Be forgiven and be remade to be living people. Now there are a lot of people will try to tell me that they just don't believe that that's true that there is a time when this life is over we when we have to give account for where we are and that many are not ready to meet God they are perishing people and that others who trust Christ are living people but I don't think they are telling me the whole truth because I see two intuitions among almost all human beings I talk with and I want you to think about them see if they're true of you that that point us toward the truth of this message from Jesus what are they? One, most of us have this deep intuition that there's a life beyond this life. That, that this life is not all there is. Uh, I've read the philosophers who try to argue intellectually for materialism, that material things, that's all there is in this, this world. and There's nothing beyond this world. But I find that most people can't hold on to that consistently. Uh, even hardened atheists, when they're facing their own ends or that facing the death of someone they really love often open up and begin to think there must be more to this world than we have seen at this point uh, I when, when Chris and I 24 years ago had the loss of our uh, middle child I, I've told so many of you about this it's it started bringing me into contact with so many people who were facing death themselves or, or among those that they love and care for and again and again The same questions would emerge, even from people who who held any kind of religion at arm's length. They would always say something like this. Why is this happening? And intuitively, really sensing that there must be an answer to this. There there has to be some purpose, even in the, the things that are happening. Why is this happening? Or something like this when they would lose their child. I can't believe I won't see her again. Well, of course they can't. There's just something about that that doesn't fit for us as human beings. See, again, I've become more and more convinced that there is this deep-seated intuition in us as humans, as human beings. That this life cannot be all there is. And a Christian is one who has said, yes, there must be. And has had that clarified. And has found life that lasts through Christ. The, The second intuition... That I often try to seize on when I talk about these things is that most of us have this intuition that evil should be punished and that goodness should be rewarded. Don't don't you think that's true? That when when people do well, we just think like goodness should be rewarded. And and when there's evil, it should be punished. And yet we know that sometimes evil isn't punished in this world. Uh, Maybe not here in Southern California. Maybe we have perfect justice systems, but in many other places... Like where I came from, Chicago. Uh, (laughs) I didn't even. You have been reading the papers. I see. I I see that. But 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 we have something will happen where there'll be a big trial and a person that we really thought was guilty gets off. I don't. Has that ever happened here? (laughs) And almost everybody just says, wait a minute. That person deserved to be punished. That, That person, we think, will not get away with that. Will she? Will he? But then we find out they do. And there are people that get away with all sorts of things all the time. I have a really good friend who's an FBI agent back in Chicago. And we'd get together for coffee. And he would tell me that the files that they have, there's so many of them, of crimes, murders that have never been solved. People have gotten away with it. And something inside of us, as people who long to be moral, revolt at this notion That we can have a world, a universe, where evil isn't punished. And if we think about the worst, we we think about the Hitlers and the Lenins and the Pol Potts, and we think, surely, surely that's going to be punished. Isn't isn't that a part of that deep-seated human intuition? And even for us as individuals, we look at ourselves and we know that we, too, have engaged in wrong. And something inside of us expects that that's going to be dealt with. Um, If this Christian message is true, which I believe from the depths of my being, and all of us will give account of how we have lived before God, uh, some of us may be frightened when we stand there. Uh, Some of us may feel ill-prepared, but I don't think any of us will be surprised because we really believe that goodness should be rewarded and evil should be punished. And some of the great novels of history have built upon this human intuition, like Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment. Which the main uh, character, Roshkolnikov, uh, commits what seems to be the perfect crime and can get away with it. But something inside the human psyche feels like evil, even my own, should be punished. Well, you see what a Christian is. We've come to grips with those two intuitions. We've had them clarified. We've sensed that there's a life beyond this life and God tells us about it. We sense that evil must be punished. Goodness should be rewarded. And God tells us how he's going to do this. Yes, the systems of this world should do that. Our families and authorities should do it. Our churches should do it. Our justice systems should do it. But we all fall short. But God has said, at the end of the day, I will make sure it happens. But the problem is we've all engaged into evil. And this is where this beautiful Christian message comes. God sent his son, the sinless one, into this world. Who is willing to take the punishment due us. So that we are able to stand. Declared by God himself as forgiven. So that we might not perish. But have eternal life. See a Christian knows that a decision about this Jesus must be made. And has made it. So where are you in this? The question that I want you to ask. Is is where are you are are you still on that path of perishing self-directed trying to earn the favor of of anyone or have you made the decision to entrust your sins and your life and all you are to Christ. Which brings me to the second truth. This great text John 316 forces us to see a Christian is also one who has recognized the uniqueness of Jesus You know, we use that word unique in so many ways, but it means nobody else like him. (laughs) And you see it in that one phrase that's translated in our version. God sent his one and only son. Now, the old version, some of you know, and I heard you even as we did the responsive reading, said it. Only begotten son. Um, Either way, there is no other son like Jesus. Uh, The Greek word is mono, only, genese, one of its kind, Just absolutely unique. Nobody like him. There's nobody who can do for you what Jesus can do. No sinless one who himself is God, who's come into this world to rescue you. Now, Christians who have been to so many Christmas services, I know you've heard this so often you expect the pastor to talk about this. So that when I say it, I I just can't get through the calluses of having heard about the uniqueness of Jesus. Will you will you try to hear about him as you've never heard about him before and be thrilled at what Jesus says he is and at what he did? I I was thinking about this. I think I've told you before this. This story of the pastor in the church where they would have the um, the children's messages. Did some of you grow up in churches where they had the children's sermons? And his wife told him his children's sermons were boring and that the children never listened to him and he needed to do something to engage them. So he, he thought he would try to do it. So he tried to use a bit of an illustration. He said, OK, children, as they're sitting there, <clears throat> he was a little nervous. He said, now, I want to ask you a question. Uh, what's um, brown, sometimes gray or red? And it really likes uh, uh, nuts and it jumps around in trees. And there was absolute silence. Come on, children, this, this isn't hard. It, it's it's red, brown, sometimes gray, it jumps around trees. You can see them all around almost every place and loves nuts. What is it? He began to think his wife was right and that nobody listened to it. You know, so come on passionately. What is it? You've all seen it. You've all seen it. they're all around it. these little things. They, they jump around and in trees and brown or red and they love nuts. And finally, one little boy who's always in trouble in the back. Raised his hand. He said, Mike, what is it? He said, well, pastor, we're in church, so we know that the answer has to be Jesus. But it sure sounds like a squirrel. (laughs) I, I was thinking about that as I was coming to this point today. I thought, how am I going to tell you about Jesus when every time you come, I want to tell you about Jesus. So listen as if you haven't heard about him before. I'm just going to summarize a few things about this one and only son. Think about it and think about whether you believe this is who he is. First, I want you to think about some of the things he said. I picked out just one text, Matthew 7, 21 to 23, in which Jesus declared, Not everyone, he said, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? In your name, didn't we drive out demons? Demons. Didn't we perform? Didn't we even show up at that Lake Avenue church at nine (laughs) o'clock? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me. Now, you perhaps read that so often you don't. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying that at the end of time, all people, all people are going to be gathered in front of him. And their eternal destinies are going to be determined by by him. I mean, what kind of a man would say such a thing? And, and, and he did it with authority. It, it, it was never just, well, in my opinion, this, it's I say to you, this is going to happen. Now, if any one of us as pastors, if I or John uh, Stuthers would, would say, OK, your eternal destiny of all people in the universe is determined by me, I don't think I'd have a job very long. <laughs> Do you? So just the things he said, read about them in the Gospels. They happen again and again and again. There are also, second, the titles, the names he gave himself. What like? like, I am the bread of life. If you want this eternal life to be sustained, I am the one who sustains it. I am the light of the world, Jesus said. I am the truth. I am the way to God. Jesus said these things. What what do we do with those kinds of titles? Or seeing the things he said, seeing the names he called himself. Think about the rights he, he, he exercised. I mean, one of them, he would turn to people and say, your sins are forgiven. The people would say, only God can forgive sins. But he didn't flinch. What are we to do with that? Or there are the claims that he made. For example, in the Gospel of John, I and the Father are one. Now read through the Gospels. You know what I mean by that New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. This is the Jesus shining through the pages. No one else like him. In fact, his disciples, after having seen and heard him for those years that they were with him. Had this one time when uh, they said, Jesus said, who am I? And for Peter, they would say, you are the Messiah. The son of the living God. And Jesus didn't say, no, no, no. Oh, you shouldn't say such crazy things. You know, I, oh, I'm just a human being like you. No, he essentially, he said, quite right. And it wasn't flesh and blood that revealed this to you. It is God in heaven who reveals this to you. Now, C.S. Lewis, in a well-known quote, which I'm going to show it to you again in the context of this message, summarizes it so well, comparing these claims of Jesus with other religions. Perhaps you've read it. Lewis said, if you had gone to Buddha and asked, are you the son of Brahman? He would have said, my son, you are still under the veil of illusion. If you had gone to Socrates and asked, are you Zeus? He would have laughed at you. If you would have gone to Muhammad and asked, Are you Allah? He would have cut off your head. But Jesus said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. You see why the statements made about Jesus by so many in our day, oh, he was a good man, simply don't hold water. No good man, if he's just a normal, would say things like this. No good man would say that your eternal destiny is dependent upon him. The person would have to be crazy. Or the person would have to be sinister. Uh, Again, Lewis would put it, either he was the son of God or he was a madman. So so, uh, Christians are people who have taken out this text. We've read it through. We see the Jesus who shines through these pages. We see how he deals with people. We see the hope that he offers to all who will believe. And we have come to the conclusion that he is who he said he was. That he is the one and only son of God, the only Lord of this universe, the only potential rescuers of our souls and savior from our sin. So the second question for you tonight today, who is he to you when you look at Jesus? What do you see? Do you see the one and only son of God and your savior? Or something else? Which, with our time being gone, I'll come quickly to the third truth about a Christian that John 3.16 presents. A Christian is also a person who has responded in personal trust to this Jesus. We've, we've come to grips with who he is, and now we say, what should I do? And what we have done is we have responded in personal trust to Jesus from this marvelous phrase, God so loved the world. So that whoever believes in him doesn't have to perish, but will have eternal life. God loves you when you leave here today. You need to know that. That the God of the Bible declares to you, I know you. I know where you fall short. I know your inadequacies and I love you so much. I want you to live. Now, of course, when I declare that so unequivocally as I just have today. The pushback always is, how can you believe in that kind of God? A God of love. Because look at all the suffering and pain in the world. Isn't that, did you even think that? How can a God of love allow suffering to happen to people that he loves? Well, the Christian message is that the pain and evil in this world is in this world because people made in the image of God have engaged in evil. And as we do, it brings ever escalating pain and suffering in this world. Uh, the corollary to that is of course that the only way to have a world without any suffering is for God to eliminate all who might engage in evil or give us no opportunity uh, to make any kinds of decisions. It's the, the only corollary. So really if we if we're complaining about why there's suffering in this world and that God is love, the real question we should ask is why does God allow me Does that make sense to you? I mean, I know myself. Do you know yourself? (laughs) And I know that if there's going to be no pain in the world, my actions cause some pain. So the real issue is, why does God allow me? And then it brings us into this whole biblical message that God is in the process of working out a plan. that this he's not done with this world or with us yet. And that the suffering and pain of this world is going to end. And there will be a world of people who have been forgiven of sins Imperfect people, but then remade to be conformed to the image of Christ so that there will be a world without that weeping and pain and suffering. So the book of the Bible, the book of Revelation ends with come quickly, Lord Jesus. (laughs) That's the kind of world that I want. But until that world is completed, God calls whoever will. People that he loves to believe in him so that we won't have to perish But we can be forgiven because the verse that follows John 316 is so, so great. It says, because, you know, God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world. God would not be so frivolous as to do that. God sent his one and only son into this world so that the world, you and I, through him might be rescued. So there's hope. What Holly talked about is a hope for you and for me. And why did he do it? And the Bible is so clear because God loved the world. And if we look for love in this world, I'll tell you where you're going to find it most clearly. When you do not stop at Christmas, but move on to Good Friday and Easter. If you look for love in a suffering world, the Bible points us to one suffering man. Suffering more than any human being, bearing, bearing the punishment for the sins of the world. Yes, yours and mine on the cross. And yet even that suffering did not last forever. Defeating the suffering, the sin and the death, he rose again and offers eternal life uh, to all who believe. Isn't that the Christian faith? Isn't that a hope available to all who believe? Uh, A Christian is a person who's believed in. It's more than just believing the facts are true. You know the difference between believing and believing in. I tried to find an illustration. I I, I mentioned it to a couple of younger guys and they said, we don't understand that one. But I'll tell it to you anyway. Um, (laughs) There's all the difference in the world between a man, a young man who tells a girl, I love you in the back of a theater. And one who tells a girl, I love you at the altar, pledging his life to her. Now, Jeremy Rose said, what is this theater thing? Uh, some of us can explain that I I, I don't know how we would put it today it's one thing to write on your Facebook I love you it's another thing to commit your whole future to that person in a marriage vow do you see that one's words the other one is a commitment and the believing in is this matter that you and I hear the message and then we commit our sins to him will you really take them and he takes them and casts them as far as east is to the west And we commit our lives to him and allow him to begin that remaking process where because of his love for us and his work in us, he will not finish until we are complete in Christ, until we have eternal life, life that God alone can give. So what is a Christian? The third point. We have responded to this one and only son of God in personal trust so what about you do you believe in him would you say right now I I do not believe in him or are you unsure today again my prayer as your pastor is I I want no one who leaves the Lake Avenue church family on Christmas Sunday to go out not knowing the message or, or where you stand right now with regard to that that's why I put this card in your worship folder, if you have it, will you take it out? If you didn't get one, I have, maybe you can construct one. It's not very sophisticated. It's not very detailed. I remind us of the three points of John 3.16, and I, I want us to find a way to respond to it. You can pull that out and find a pen. Maybe you would put your name and a date somewhere on there. What is today? 12:21:08. 8 In time and space. We believe a decision can be made that affects the eternal direction of our lives. So I ask you, have you made that decision to receive the gift of Jesus and the eternal life that he gives? If so, will you circle that? Would you describe yourself still as perishing the way the Bible does? That's its language. At least that's my designation. Jesus' designation, that you are living self-directed or others-directed life? Or are you a person who is Christ-directed, living eternal life? This morning, as I spoke about Jesus, you heard it. What do you see in that manger? Do you see the Son of God born for you? The only sinless one who is ready to be your savior, rescuer from sins. And the remaker of your life. If so, circle one and only. Or I put merely human, but maybe you think he's something else. Teacher. Where are you with that commitment of a Christian? And the third piece so clearly. The one who believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Have you responded in personal trust to Jesus? And I gave you three options there. Do you believe in him? Have you given your life to him? Do you you not yet believe in him? Or maybe, even though I've tried to speak as clearly as I can, you're still unsure. We're going to take just a moment at the end of our service. We're going to have a song that is going to be played it's a little town of bethlehem and in fact in that song there is this great great line listen for it whenever you hear it it says where meek souls will receive him still you know the next part still the dear christ enters in as the music's being played simply pray and deal with this and see where you stand before god then i'll come back and tell you at the end how i want us to respond